Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey friends, welcome into episode number 91 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Today, I welcome AJ Cravel into the show. AJ is currently the conservator for the DeSoto, Texas ISD. During his work with DeSoto, he has helped them improve from F-level ratings in academics, finance, and governance to B-level ratings in all categories. He's also a member of the faculty at the Leadership Institute of Nevada and the Director of Governance at the Council of the Great City Schools. AJ has served as the Deputy Commissioner at the Texas Education Agency and has spearheaded reforms as the Board Chair of Kansas City Public Schools. It's clear here, folks, AJ has been focused on improving student outcomes for a long time. AJ and I had a wonderful conversation. You're going to hear it right on the other side of these messages, including one from our sponsor, EverFi. Hey, leaders, today's podcast is sponsored by EverFi. EverFi provides districts, schools, and teachers with free digital resources to teach essential life skills like character development and financial education. That's right. I said free. EverFi partners with organizations like the United Way to give teachers hundreds of turnkey, standards-aligned lessons and 24-7 support. District and school administrators are supported with a suite of services like professional development and data reporting, all at no cost. Learn more at everfi.com slash edleaders. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash edleaders. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. AJ Crable, welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, man. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's really quick before we dive in, uh, just give my listeners a quick background, quick elevator version of who AJ Crable is. I'm a advocate for students who spends most of my time either working with individual campuses supporting their work around discipline or working with individual superintendent teams supporting their work around strategic planning or school boards supporting their work around governance. Excellent. So I know right now you're working um, with uh, DeSoto ISD and really have led quite a bit of turnaround in that district. Let's let's maybe start there and just talk a little bit about uh, some of the work that you've done in that specific district. And not, not that we need to go into that district, but more so the work that you're leading uh, as, as a part of what you're doing. Yeah. And in that regard, as a general exemplar, uh, DeSoto is actually a, a pretty great example. So a lot of my work with DeSoto has been supporting uh, and providing coaching for the board, the superintendent, to really help get clear about what are the things that we're trying to accomplish, what are the metrics that let us know that we're on the right track or off the track, and really encouraging folks just to have the courage to follow through on the things that are difficult but necessary. And uh, by the grace of God, we've just had a great team that has put in the work, has done the follow through, and that's allowed the hard work of our students and teachers to really be revealed. Um, and inside of that, we've gone from um, really unacceptable level of performance academically, financially, and as it relates to governance. And to two and a half years later, where I'm incredibly proud not only of the work that our students and teachers have done, because uh, they're the ones doing the real effort in the school system, but also yeah. really proud of what our senior leadership team and our board have done as well. Which is perfect, because that's really what I want to get into. Um, you know, we talk here on the podcast quite often about leadership and their work supporting teachers. But 
when you and I met for our pre-meeting, we had a really interesting conversation around the board itself. And, you know, a, a lot of people, myself included, do that work with coaching executive level leaders, um, building level leaders, that type of thing. But not a lot of people do the work to coach a board. Uh, before before I share one of the quotes that, that I copied from, uh, copied down from our previous conversation, talk just a little bit about that approach to coaching a board. Yeah, for me, it really begins with being clear about why school systems exist. And then within the context of why school systems exist, helping boards get clear about why they exist. So school systems exist for one reason and one reason only. That's to improve student outcomes. School systems exist to cause improvements, to cause growth in what it is that children know and are able to do. Um, and it's really important that school boards are clear that that is the only reason the school system exists, that its sole function for being is to improve student outcomes, to improve what children know and are able to do. Once that is clear, it also dispels a lot of other things. It means that the school district is not here to provide employment in the county. It means the school district is not here to provide lunches. The school district is not here uh, to keep parents and teachers happy and to provide daycare. The school system is not here uh, to have a balanced budget or a great football team. Like all of these things are lovely. I'm in favor of all the things I've just described. It's just that they're not why the school system exists, that the, the reason that school systems exist, the reason that those communities we choose to have them is because there's things that we want children to know and be able to do. And the school system is the vehicle that we've chosen to ensure that that is available to all of our children regardless of the circumstance. <clears throat> Once you've got clarity around why the school system exists, the job of the board in creating the context for improvements in student outcomes is to represent the vision and values of the community. That's the job of the board, is to listen for the community's vision for what students should know and be able to do, listen for the community's values around what are the important non-negotiables that have to be honored along the journey, and then writing both of those down. And the written form of the community's vision values is what we refer to as district policy. Policy is just vision and values codified. And so the job of the board is to listen for the vision and values, write them down, make them plain, and then create a, aligned systems of accountability to ensure that the community's vision and values are actually being followed through. That's what the work of the board is. And when seen in that manner, it starts to clarify that a lot of the things that boards get involved in actually aren't furthering that task and allows board members to start to come back to, okay, what actually will help us make sure that our students are learning and growing? So I, I still want to get to that quote, but I want, I want to ask you something here. Why is it that so many boards then go off the rails. And, and by off the rails, I don't mean the, the goofy Jerry Springer board <laughs> meetings yeah. that, that we've seen across the country. I don't mean that. What I really mean by it is why is it that boards have a tendency to squirrel away from that purpose or to think that their purpose is something other than yeah. what you just talked about? Well, there's a few challenges that school boards face, and, and I know these are the same challenges I faced when I joined my local board. And, and to be certain, I definitely joined my school board thinking I knew exactly what my role was and what the job was and quickly discovered that I had absolutely no idea what I had just convinced the community to sign me up for. Yeah. And so some of the problems, one, state statute, in most places is a challenge. Um, in my book, one of the things I point out is my team and I did a study. We looked at all 50 states plus D.C. and Puerto Rico looking for what type of training is expected specifically of school board members. It's distinct from any other elected officials. Like These people are being entrusted with the welfare of children. What does law say is, should be unique about their training? And the reality is in most states it doesn't. There, there isn't any uniquely defined training for school board members. And in only four states that we could find, was there anything that required board members to receive training around student outcomes, what students should know and be able to do? So, so the first problem is, what 
people are told is the legal nature of their job is actually inconsistent with the role. The next problem is we also conducted analysis. We looked at school board training conferences and we coded hundreds and hundreds of sessions at school board training conferences. <clears throat> and what we found is after coding all these conference uh, sessions is that less than 5% of those sessions had anything to do with the board's role in setting goals around what students should know and be able to do and monitoring progress towards those goals about what students should know and be able to do. Less than 5% of the sessions. Further, any time that I'm in a grocery store as an elected official and people come up to me, he's like, hey, aren't you that school board guy? You start to ask yourself, Darren, are, are they going to come up and ask me about the vision of the community? Hey, you know, <clears throat> I've noticed that you know, the literacy rates in our community aren't quite where they should be. And I'm wondering, what are y'all going to do about that? And, you know, and what can we be doing as community to support that? Or when they come up to me, are they asking about, hey, how come my kid didn't get into this particular program? Or, you know, how right. come my bus was late picking my kid up? Or how come Taco Tuesdays on Taco Thursdays now? And, and all these other things. And so what often right. happens is the third piece of this is not only is the training often not aligned with the mission. Not only is the legal mandate often not aligned with the mission, but the community issues that board members most commonly hear about as they're going through the community are most often not aligned with the mission. They're aligned with a pain point that a community member is legitimately experiencing, and, and that pain is real. But it's the pain of that person. It's rarely that they're surfacing what is at stake for our community as a whole and for what we're trying to accomplish for our children. And so between community pressure, um, inadequate training, and and just wholly in, inappropriate and inadequate legislative frameworks, we've really set board members up to fail. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think just, just listening to you talk about that, you know, took me back to my time as a superintendent and, and all the different board members that, that I worked with. And just one, completing some training in and of itself was really challenging. Right. And, you know, just getting board members. And, and I understand it. I mean, I don't, I don't like begrudge them this. You know, they're full-time workers in other walks of life. That's right. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It, I think it frustrates me, but it doesn't surprise me that very few states even require any type of training of your board members, when in reality, we need to have board members who at least understand that basic, the basics around what governance really is, what their function truly is, how the, you know, how the chain of command works, because you're right, most board members, they're going to get hit with those things out in the community, you know, when are we going to fire that football coach? Or, you know, right. why is it that, you know, they're not serving seconds anymore at the elementary school or just silly things <laughs> yeah. that that you're right. I mean, those are genuine pain points for those parents. But those are the points in time. And I worked really hard with my board all the time on this stuff, too. You've got to push that back to the lowest level on the chain of command. If it's a question about a classroom, they got to start with the teacher. If it's a you building level made thing, make sure to the child as yeah, possible. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that. So many of them, and I'm not just basing this on, on my board, but boards that I worked at in, in other districts in, in different roles where I wasn't a superintendent, board members struggle with that. And I found ultimately, it interesting, too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and so ultimately the diagnosis that you experienced, that I've experienced, is that board members wind up deeply focused on and invested in adult inputs. They wind up focused on... What are the resources that are being deployed and in what manner are they being deployed and who's getting the resources and who's not getting the resources and what color are the resources? And, and, and they get so pulled into because that's where the community voices, the often the training that's received and the legislative framework all point toward. And so what we have nationwide is a board culture that is intensely focused on adult inputs to the exclusion of having a focus on student outcomes. And that is the core dysfunction, the core opportunity that I'm trying to step into with this particular book is to accelerate the transition nationwide 
away from an adult inputs focused and toward a student outcomes focus. Whether you're selecting resources and curriculum mapping or you're organizing PD days and analyzing data, administrators, you have a lot on your plate. So why not lighten the load by working with EverFi? It costs you nothing, really. EverFi provides 100% free essential skills resources and services to over 11,000 school districts thanks to partners like the NFL and the United Way. Their standards-aligned resources focus on things like college and career readiness, character development, financial literacy, health, wellness, and other pivotal topics for long-term student success. Check out the free digital resources yourself at everfi.com edleaders. In addition to hundreds of free lessons, EverFi provides school leaders with a dedicated team who will align EverFi's resources to your curriculum maps, create tailored learning sessions for your next PD day, integrate EverFi's free platform with ClassLink and Clever, and provide you with regular data reporting and 24-7 support, all at no cost. Man, I wish I had known about EverFi when I was a school leader. Go to everfi.com edleaders to see why admin and teachers love partnering with EverFi. Then schedule a meeting to bring EverFi's free resources and support to your district. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash edleaders. Now you've taken me right into that quote that I want to go back to. Uh, you said this um, a couple of weeks ago when we had a conversation. You said if boards want continuous improvement in the classroom, they must have continuous improvement in the boardroom. That's right. So let's let's talk a little bit more about that. I mean, we've we've kind of led our way right into that part of the conversation. Clearly, that's what has happened in DeSoto. How I, mean, I know you were a board member in a different state prior, a board mm-hmm. chair. How does that happen? How do you work and guide and coach a school board to understand the statement that I just said? Yeah, part of it is you do have to be willing to be a coach. And so that was the way that I introduced myself on day one is that I'm here and my aspiration is to stand behind you all and support you with being the best versions of yourselves. It's not my intention you know, to try to be dictatorial or to try to be demeaning or anything of that nature, but rather to help you get clear for you as a group, what are your aspirations? What is this community's aspirations for our children? And then inside of that, help you get clear as a group about what are the ways that you could go about creating a continuous improvement process in the boardroom that gave rise to a continuous improvement culture in the classroom. And so the the five steps of that continuous improvement process were to get a focused mindset. And really a large part of that is just making this transition from being adult inputs focused mindset to a student outcomes focused mindset to having a focused mindset and then clarifying the priorities. What are the things we're going to focus on? Once we've got those clarified, monitoring progress, aligning resources, and then communicating results. And those five things over and over and over that we're getting absolutely clear about what are we going to focus on. It's not going to be a lot of things. And this is a real challenge for a lot of boards. I had a board chair call me up once. Say, AJ, 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 I hear you. We've got to have priorities. So as a board, we took that to heart. We wrote down our priorities. And now we're just trying to figure out how to create and uh, an aligned system of monitoring their progress. How often should we monitor progress? It's like, well, it depends. You know, how many goals did you adopt? It's like, oh, well, it's great. Like, we've been really comprehensive. We've got 130. Oh, it's, like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like, hold there, friends. Hold, hold. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> um, yeah, you you should expect to not do any meaningful monitoring or have any progress. Like, there's, wow. And so that's one of the challenges is that, there, it's not enough to say that we should have clarity about the priorities. You have to make clear for folks, priority really in, in, infers very, very few things. Um, in fact, priority really you think of is one thing. What is that one thing that we're focused on? And so in the coaching that I provide, you know, we'll stretch beyond that and say, look, maybe have as many as three things absolute max of five that you're going to be focused on but i recommend three what are the what are the three things we're going to do over the next five years that are going to be the things that we lean into the hardest that if we accomplish nothing else these are the things that we're going to walk away having achieved 
And what that does is that begins to free up the superintendent and the rest of the administration. Okay, so we just have to win at these few things. We don't have to win at 130 different things. We, we just have to make sure that we're designing a system to win at these few things. Now, part of the challenge there, Darren, is, and you understand this, the moment you say, here are the three things that we're going to lean into, you're automatically also saying the other 127 things we're not going to lean into. Those aren't going to be our focus. And that creates a real challenge, particularly for folks who attain their seat via election, because there's a whole lot of people who invest in those 127 other things we just said no to. And so board has to just be really adept at, and it just comes with training, really adept at being able to communicate why did we choose these three things first? You know, what about these three things do we believe is going to really set us up for success with the other 127 things? Like, how is it that if we accomplish these things first, that will actually expedite the likelihood of accomplishing any of the remaining 127? And, and when a board can have that type of conversation with folks, then you free up the next layer of the organization to start behaving similarly in the next layer of the organization. We get to the point where, One of the things that really frustrates me often is when I see teachers who are being beset with 50 different things to do, like that's not setting teachers up for success. What we really need is like, what is the smallest set of things that each teacher needs to be able to deliver on? And how can we take as much else off of their plate as possible? When the board begins to behave in this really focused manner and then engage in this continuous improvement process around that narrow set of items, it actually frees us up to have school systems where that's what the experience for teachers can be like as well. And in that context, teachers can thrive. Teachers can really show what they can do and it frees them up to be great on behalf of the children that they serve in a way that boards being kind of scattered and bouncing from thing to thing to thing every week actually makes it harder for teachers to be effective. Yeah, that that takes me into something that you had said before um, that, that I want to go a little bit deeper into. And, and I know I won't capture it the way that, that I had heard you say it previously, but I'll, I'll do my best. And, and that is essentially this. There are no neutral actions in leadership. So my That's leadership right. is either assisting or getting in the way. And, and I know yeah. you said it much more eloquently that, than can I, but let's let's go into that a little bit more because when when we have the board beginning as you as you're saying to function at that level, that should allow and empower superintendent, executive cabinet, and so forth to ensure that their leadership is actually supporting and not getting in the way. Yeah, and this is this is a challenge, and sometimes board members hear me say this and superintendents hear me say these things. It's like, well, that's not fair. It's like, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. And if you were seeking fairness, leadership is the wrong position of the bus to be in. Like that's just leadership isn't calibrated for your benefit. It's actually quite the opposite. It's calibrated for others benefit. And so there are things that aren't going to feel fair to you and, and that's okay. Um, And if you can't handle that, then just resign and find another way to be of service to children. But one of the inherent unfairnesses of leadership is that particularly when we talk about students who um, have more needs than others, every single leadership decision counts. And the more educationally vulnerable the child is, the more severe the impact of each board behavior, each leader behavior that isn't aligned with a clear set of priorities. Um, That our students who already have a lot of protective measures in their lives and already have a number of safety nets uh, that will catch them when they fall, when our leadership is not as effective as it needs to be, there's there's something that will still be there to support them. For our children who are most academically vulnerable, however, through whatever means, when our leadership is not optimal, that those students suffer the most. Um, and so the stakes are significant. And it's not fair that the stakes are significant, but that's just what it is. And it's for you know, us as leaders to own that 
and to accept that we have to be completely intentional, but that there are not going to be any neutral actions on our part. Either we are advancing what's possible for improvements in student outcomes, or we are making it harder for our teachers and children to uh, make manifest those improvements day after day. And that leads right into, yeah, you absolutely said that much better than, than the way I let it in. But uh, um, <laughs> that, that leads right into um, kind of that third step. I mean, you've hit, you've hit two of the things uh, that you talked uh, with me about with DeSoto, with clarity, with, you know, stopping, you know, harmful behaviors and harmful leadership. Um, and then you talked about really getting your professional development focus around that real-time coaching, that real-time support on pedagogy, on leadership, those types of things. Talk yeah. to me a little bit more about what that real-time focus in coaching looks like in order to really impact those student outcomes. Yeah. Well, and first, the case for real-time and kind of aggressive in-person hands-on coaching um, at the, both the classroom level and the board room level. Um, in Texas, we started deploying these systems of governing several years ago. And so before the pandemic, we were able to pull together three years worth of data to really look at what is the impact of boards behaving in the way that we're talking about here today. Then we were able to take all 1,200 LEAs across the state of Texas, so a lot of school systems, and put them into three buckets. There is a set of all school systems in Texas that receive no treatment. So this is kind of your control group. Then there's a set of all school systems in Texas who received a partial treatment. They went through a two-day workshop that oriented them on the things that you and I are talking about right now. And then there's a set of all school systems that received the full treatment. They went to the two-day orientation, and then they worked with a certified coach for up to two years after that two-day orientation to implement the things that we're talking about. So the folks who receive no training um, and no coaching, the folks who receive training but no coaching, and then the folks who receive training and coaching. And then when we went back and conducted the analysis, I say we, I wasn't actually there at the time. I didn't conduct the analysis. But uh, when the analysis was conducted, the average growth on accountability, statewide accountability, which is in Texas entirely based on student uh, performance data, for the set of the non-treatment school systems was about four uh, percentage points. The growth for partial treatment districts was about four and a quarter percentage points. And the growth for full treatment school systems was about eight percentage points. Um, essentially 2x the non-treatment group. Now, this is a limited sample size. It's a limited data set. It's you know, a limited snapshot in time. But it begins to point in the direction of something that I, I suspect a lot of us have long suspected. Coaching matters. That if you really want to see sustained changes in adult behavior over time, what you really need is somebody standing right behind you day after day, um, helping you live into the fullness of your intentions, helping identify where your behaviors and your intentions don't line up, not in a caustic, punitive way, but in an analytical way and say, hey, you know, here's where you try to get to. This set of behaviors doesn't match up with that. What could you do next time that could get you a step closer? And then next week, a step closer, and next week, a step closer. This same type of job-embedded, real-time coaching that makes a powerful difference for teachers also turns out that it makes a powerful difference for boards as well. So that's the nature of the work is that you need folks who are specifically trained, whether it's an instructional coach or a governance coach, whether that's in the classroom or in the boardroom, someone who is uniquely trained and skilled at understanding what are the behaviors that have the strongest correlation with improvements in student outcomes in this particular context, whether the classroom or the boardroom, and what, is, what are the steps necessary to migrate from the current behavior set to the desired behavior set? And the closer that that coaching comes to the behavior that was misaligned with the intention, the better. So if we wait for three weeks and then receive the coaching, that's not nearly as good as we only wait a week 
and that's not nearly as good if we only wait a day, and that's not nearly as good as if we get feedback in real time. And that's part of the DeSoto stories. You actually go watch some of our board meetings over the past year. We'll do real-time evaluation live during the board meeting where we'll go through a segment of the board meeting. We'll stop and we'll pull out a rubric and say, hey, for this part of the board meeting, how do we do? And board members go around and say, oh, yeah, on this indicator we're here. No, we really weren't very good on this one. And they'll stop and analyze, okay, what, what can we do differently next time? Okay, got it. And then you come back the next month and people aren't making the same mistake the following month. And so that real-time job-embedded coaching with a rubric, with a guide who's you know, not intent on being putative, but who's really just trying to help folks grow, we see how that makes a difference in the classroom as it turns out. Humans are humans everywhere because it also makes a difference in the boardroom. Absolutely. Well, that's what I like to call that balcony level perspective where, you know, sometimes you yeah. just kind of have to step up out of the action and just kind of mm-hmm. take a look around and, you know, how, how am I doing in these different in these different areas? And, uh, you know, I really value that. I think it's uh, first of all, the coaching actually makes a difference. Just wow. Let's just shout that from the rafters because it does. <laughs> and. You know, the more, yeah, the, the closer we are to the moment in, in that ability to give that coaching, the more powerful it is. And, you know, to me, I've always described it as kind of like that third point perspective, you know, or, or you know, from the balcony as, as a basketball coach. You know, there's great value in sitting and watching tape and, you know, the player on the floor remembers something a certain way. And I remember it, you know, in the heat of the moment from a certain way, but the the tape doesn't lie. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, being able to, to look at that third point and that's where the coach comes in because the coach can play that role of Mm -hmm. the video, if you will, of, you know, Hey, in this particular, in this particular instance, or this conversation with a teacher or, you know, this, this moment with a parent, you know, talk to me about what you're thinking was here. You know, you know, what if, what but, if but we'll actually do that here? literally with school boards because school yeah, board absolutely pub, are public. And so what we'll often do is we'll have boards actually videotape the board meetings and then we'll upload it. And then we'll actually go back through the video with board members. We'll, we'll literally replay the video um, of the board meeting and say, okay, do you see what you did here? Oh yeah, I got it. Okay. I could have done this instead. I could have done that instead. And so a lot of the time that my coaches and I will spend is actually going back through the game footage with the players and helping them see, okay, yeah, yeah I did kind of, I, I, I lost my temper a little bit there. You know, that that's, that's not who yeah. I was really trying to be. I, I didn't notice in the moment, but yeah, now I see what you mean. And so there's real value, you know, in replaying the video. And when you have it, it's not, my opinion as a coach that your behavior didn't sync up with your intention. You can see for yourself whether or not it did. And so creating a tool set, uh, we, you know, we've created some of our own in-house tools for this um, to actually go back and code board meetings. And through this, we've actually coded hundreds and hundreds of hours of school board meetings that, so that board members can go back and see here's where that behavior, um, that non-neutral behavior actually may have detracted from our intention for students rather than added it to it. And, and in that moment, because almost without exception, I mean, there's a few yahoos in every bucket out here, but almost without exception, school board members are people who are deeply invested in what's possible for children. They want to see greatness for the kids in their community, and they're willing to make changes in their own adult behavior to get there. Um, you just have to give us, you have to give us some coaching. You have to give us the opportunity to grow, and, and we want it. We want it badly. Um, and so creating that as an opportunity for folks, you know, my experience has been when board members have stepped forward and said, you know, we want to be coachable because we want to be great on behalf of the children we serve, that that adult behavior shift can happen really quickly and you can start to see results for children. I love that. Let's, let's jump into the book then. You actually, I think whether intentionally or unintentionally, said the title of the book greater on their behalf um, let's let's talk about kind of the the core idea behind the book what what inspired you to put this book together and you know what what are some things that you're hoping people can take away from the book it's funny you mentioned the title i hated the title um, that is not the title i wanted <laughs> i had a whole different title in mind and i was speaking with someone and I said well talk explain you know, i don't like your title explain, talk to me about the book like we, we're going to know this title thing that way i was like i don't think she knows what she's talking about and so she just keeps asking me all these questions and somewhere in there i must have said something about you know what as board members what, what we really want is just to be great on behalf of the students we serve and we're willing to she's like stop 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 that's it that's the title i was like 
what's the title? She's like, that's it. Um, and so I, I can't take really pride of authorship. Uh, it was pointed out to me by somebody else entirely that's just apparently the vernacular. Well, it, I it's used certainly to... there in, yeah, it's in your vernacular. So, <laughs> so whether you love it or not, man, I think it's a great title. I really do. But, but it, it speaks to the aspirations, you know, that it, there's, in, it's in all of our communities. The folks just want great things, you know, for kids. And my sense is people are willing to put in the work to get there if they see a clear path. And so part of the intention behind the book is to be that is just to be this, clear way that folks should have of moving from where are we to where we want to be. Now, part of making that happen is it helps for people to have a rubric so that they know when is my behavior aligned and when is my behavior not aligned. And so that's one of the things we offer. And there's additional resources um, in the book that links to uh, the website that uh, allows folks to have a sense of, okay, which one of these behaviors is aligned, which isn't aligned, and what am I going to have to do differently going forward? Love that. I think, uh, you know, the thing about this book that I am most excited, and, you know, as as we sit here recording, I know the book is going to launch anytime in the next couple of weeks. By the time this podcast is live, the book should be out and available for uh, for people to pick up. What I love about it uh, is exactly what you're sharing, and it's just the different level of resources that are there. And this isn't just a, here's what boards should do, but also here are the resources to help you get there, you know, some of the kind of the stories and some of the examples behind both board behaviors that get in the way and board behaviors that truly do make an impact. Yeah. Um, and the, the challenge that, you know, I think a lot of board members face is we described at the top of the conversation, um, what can really make a difference for folks. Uh, certainly we've talked about coaching, you know, training is helpful as long as it's followed up with coaching. I think training without coaching, um, doesn't often stick. But another key thing that's part of what we've learned over time um, is that when it comes to adult behavior change early, kind of three key levers. Um, and that if you really want to see the most change, then you've got to calibrate the training and coaching uh, that you're providing uh, with what the needs of the person is regarding these three levers. The first one is knowledge, is I know more, I can do more. Um, and so sometimes there's simply a knowledge gap. Oh, I didn't even know that the thing I'm focused on is adult inputs instead of student outcomes. Uh, the second is skill, uh, where knowledge is about what I know. Skill is about how I can use what I know. Uh, oh, I'm, I know that I want to be, that I've been focused on student outcomes um, and I want to be, or that I've been focused on adult inputs and I want to be focused on student outcomes. But how do I actually change our school board meetings and how do I change our goals and priorities to actually do that. That's That lives at the, at the skill level. And how do I actually use the knowledge that I've now attained? And knowledge and skill are essential levers for uh, driving adult behavior change. But by far, without exception, the most powerful lever for uh, causing movement in adult behavior is mindset. Um, where mindset is all about how does the world occur for me? How, how am I making meaning of the things that are going on around me? Um, if I believe that some kids just don't want to learn, if that is my mindset, uh, then my behavior will emanate from that mindset. Um, and inside the mindset, some kids just don't want to learn. I will make excuses for why our school system isn't delivering on the promise of education for all of our children. But if I adopt the mindset that, you know what, little AJ wants it. Like he wants an education badly. Um, and there's just this gap between where little AJ is and where he wants to be. And our job as a school system is to help him bridge that gap. That's, that's just a mindset shift. So, so nothing has changed in reality in my knowledge of skills, but inside of the mindset that little AJ wants this education and, and then that our job is to be the springboard to it. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going, my adult behaviors will change to align with that. I'm, I'm going to be less likely to accept um, excuses for why we're not going to get done and, and more likely to look at what do I have to change in my own behavior uh, to start to create opportunities for little AJ that we haven't been creating. What, what did I do before that was closing the door of opportunity for little AJ that, that I need to do differently that can now begin to open the door? And, and so a lot of the work uh, that we do is 
not so much in the knowledge and skills. A lot of folks, you know, know what a goal is. You know, we, we fine tune on that a little bit, but it's, it's not a whole lot of new knowledge. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, have some skill set around running a meeting. You know, we, we fine tune that. So how do we have school board meetings that actually focus on student outcomes? But that's, that's not a huge pivot. The single biggest pivot is this shift in mindset away from an adult inputs focused mindset and toward a student outcomes focused mindset away from a uh, blaming and accusation uh, and toxic mindset and toward what is it that I need to personally change first? Well, what, what is the behavior of mine as a school board member? What is the behavior of mine as a superintendent, as a principal? What do I need to change first to really create the conditions for improvement to student outcomes uh, with the understanding that as I begin to change my behavior as a leader, that I silently give permission to all of those who subscribe to my leadership, um, silently give them permission to do the same. Love it, man. It's absolutely awesome stuff right there. So let, let's do this. Let's jump to the, the final question, the one I ask everybody here on the podcast. Uh, again, it's the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. So AJ, what are you doing right now to lean into leadership? Uh, two things come to mind when you ask that. Um, kind of the longer-term trajectory and then a near-term thing. First, the longer-term trajectory is I'd encourage anybody, whatever the passionate call to service that you experience, go through the process of writing a book about it. <laughs> because yeah. uh, not only will that reveal all of the weaknesses in your understanding of this area of passion, um, and it will be this and for me, this humiliating and humbling process where I had to really stop and retrench. Uh, but it also created an opportunity to have extended conversation with, um, with a lot of experts. It'll f- force you to have to get outside of your own um, understanding and your own knowledge and really seek out others who can you know, help iron sharpen iron. And so one significant way of leaning in was this scary thing. Like, I got to be honest with you. Just putting this book out there after a year of working on it is really kind of scary because yeah. it's probably a thousand typos at least. Um, you know, so just like I, I feel like I'll be so exposed. But at the same time, like if it's an opportunity to help others join the conversation and really accelerate the transition nationally, you know, from an adult input focus to student outcomes focus, then 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 that's just part of the leadership journey. And, but that's, that's a really, really uncomfortable. So, that, so that's kind of the longer-term thing. I, but I would just encourage folks, if you feel the calling on your spirit to, to share a message that's been granted to you about how we can be better of service as children, uh, consider this your invitation. Maybe you need to write a book as well. Uh, the other thing that's uh, more kind of near and immediate uh, is I... As much as I love coaching, there are aspects of coaching that I really struggle at. And one of the most fundamental areas of uh, coaching is feedback, is providing feedback to folks. How am I providing it uh, the right quantity? So, you know, I'm not watching your instruction, Darren, and like, well, here are the 12 things you did wrong in your lesson plan today. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's not the right quantity of feedback, but also what's the right timeliness of feedback. Hey, three weeks ago when you taught this lesson, it really sucks, Darren. Like that's that's not the right <laughs> timeliness of it. Um, and those are two areas where I've really struggled and that I've had to be really intentional. And so I've, I've been coaching myself on every time um, somebody on my team uh, does something, takes on a task. Um, usually it's around training a school board or uh, doing a training at a school. Um, how am I being intentional about providing feedback to them immediately? Because they crave it. Like people who are really talented and committed to children, they want to get better and they want to get better faster. And so they crave feedback. Yeah, absolutely. This is an area where I've been weak in providing that uh, leadership. Um, and so I'm trying to be much more intentional about, one, trying to identify what's just the one thing like not not even tempting myself with three things. Like what is that? There is one thing that you could work on in this particular segment. What would that be? Um, and so I've been doing that over the past few weeks um, and just trying to be disciplined about that. And then the second thing is uh, committing that I'll try to provide feedback at preferably within three hours and at maximum within three days, which has been a whole nother thing. It's what it's lifted up is just how selfish I've been with my time and energy when it comes to the people on my team who I deeply care about, uh, that they deserve 
uh, that type of support for me. And I've just been selfish in withholding it and that I need to prioritize them and their growth and their needs in a way that I, I've been really guilty of not always doing so. And so that's that's the other area that I've been really intentional in this past about three weeks um, of making sure that the coaching occurs within, a, preferably within a three-hour window, but at absolute max three days. And that I'm looking for what is the one highest leverage thing that you could do that could really make a difference in your practice based on what I observed. And so those are the two things, you know, write a book and just be more effective and generous um, with the with the quality of the feedback. Two very, very powerful ways to lean into leadership right there. So I know that uh, my listeners are going to want to get in touch with you. What, what's the best way for them to reach out and get in touch with AJ, have a conversation, talk coaching, talk boards, whatever the case may be? Yeah, definitely. If folks want to talk shop, I'm always looking for what's that next level of growth, you know, so that I can take my game to the next level, the next level. Um, and so if folks want to reach out, um, you can hit me up personally. Um, you just go to ajcrable.com, ajcrable.com, or just email me, aj at ajcrable.com. Uh, and what I'm always definitely um, really want to pull for is that there are folks who are um, either doing really remarkable things for children and getting amazing results, not things that you feel good about or that you really enjoy or things that people like, like tangible um, evidence you have data like if you um, in God in God we trust all others bring data like, so things that you have <laughs> really evidenced that this is making a difference in a unique and powerful way like I definitely want to be a curator of that and and pull more of that to myself so that I can help amplify the voices of those practitioners who are doing things where you have strong evidence that it's really making a difference and moving the needle putting points on the boards for kids so that, that's one area that I'd really uniquely invite people to reach out. The other would be just opportunities to collaborate. Like one of the joys of this work is just getting to meet people who are deeply devoted to what's possible for children and getting to find ways to, you know, be, you know, um, in the trenches together. And so if that's, you know, if that's any of your listeners, I'd certainly encourage them to, to reach out. Absolutely. And I'll make sure that everything, uh, everything contact information wise for AJ is in the show notes. So you guys can hit him up. Um, I certainly uh, am looking forward to uh, the time here not too far down the road when you're going to be here in Omaha and you That's and I right. can get together and actually have a have an in-person conversation. And, I'm you know, very really much looking forward to it. Talk some shop for sure. And uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. AJ, thanks so much for joining me here on the podcast today, man. This has been an uh, just an unbelievably <laughs> uh, awesome conversation. Oh, Darren, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, too, very much look forward to getting a chance to break bread with you. Man, folks, this this is one of those episodes that you've got to share it. You've got to share this one. Send it to board members. Send it to superintendents, your fellow superintendents, fellow principals. Um, the advice that AJ provides here with keeping board members focused on the work that matters and keeping the work focused on students is absolutely powerful. So please share that with folks. And again, AJ, thank you so much for coming on Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Look forward to having you here in Omaha and having a chance to sit down and break bread with you. And now it's time for a pep talk. So it's about that time. We're ready to kick off the year. And maybe you're a new school leader. Maybe you're coming into a school for the first time. You know, when I transitioned from being a classroom teacher to being a school-level administrator, we moved as a family from one location to another. And, you know, in that move, obviously, there were a lot of people that I did not know in the new facility. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I got to figure out how I'm going to build relationships with people. And I really want to focus on building relationships with students. And I think that's huge for new school leaders. So let me just share a couple pieces of advice, just a couple things for you to think about when it comes to working to build relationships with your students. Number one, just be authentic. Don't try to be somebody that you're not. If you're going from being a classroom teacher to now being an administrator, you're still the same human being. Don't change who you are simply because your job title has changed. That's true also if you're going from AP to principal, principal, superintendent, whatever the case may be. Don't change who you are simply because your job title has changed. Number two, be intentional. Being intentional about your work is so critical. And in this particular context, what it really means is making a conscious effort. 
to build relationships with kids. Like really have a strategy from week to week. You know, and maybe that's setting time aside on your calendar. Maybe that's going and spending time in PE with kids or out on the playground with students or, or sitting in the hallways on the benches or at lunch times, sitting with different kids, whatever it is, find a way to be authentic and be intentional about building those relationships. And number three is being available. Okay. I mean, you can be authentic, you can be intentional, but if you're not available, you're not going to have those opportunities. So you've got to identify, you know, what really does it mean to be available? Okay. It doesn't just simply mean being in the hallway and poking your head around. Okay. I mean, that's more of a visibility thing than it is an availability thing. Okay. To me, it's really about sitting down and having those authentic conversations. Again, back to sitting down on a bench or, you know, uh, a chair in the hallway or whatever the case may be, find a place, you know, but then when you're there, be genuinely interested in the conversation. Turn off the walkie-talkie. Make sure the phone is on do not disturb or on vibrate or something so that the person that you're sitting down with, you're truly available to them. Give them 100% of your focus because as you're starting to build those relationships, hey, that availability, that being genuine, okay? I mean, that's back to being authentic. It's about being intentional. And now it's about being available, okay? And then have a space, you know, come up with some space that's beneficial or that works well for you. Uh, for me, when I was a high school principal, it was always those benches in the hallway. Anywhere there was a bench, which was almost everywhere, that's where you would find me. And it's an opportunity when a kid says, hey, can I talk to you? It's, hey, step into my office. Well, my office was sit down on a bench. Let's just sit and talk. You know, that's what it's all about. But have a space that you feel comfortable and that they will feel comfortable engaging in those conversations. And here's a little bonus tip for you. I worked with an incredible high school counselor, actually a handful of incredible high school counselors, but one in particular who every year created her own photo Rolodex of her students. Every kid that was on her caseload, she had an index card with things that they had interests in, uh, goals they had, post-high school ambitions, and their photo. And she was constantly quizzing herself so that she knew the kids by name. That's a fun way to do it. It's a, a unique way to do it. And I credit Kathy with an absolutely fantastic idea to really make sure that she was available and able to build those relationships with kids. So there you go, folks. There's some tips for building those new student relations for you in your new facility or in your new role. Get out there. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.